The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. Now, who here at this table can honestly say that they played any finer or felt any better than they did when they were with the Blues Brothers? You were the backbone, the nerve center of a great rhythm and blues band. You can make that live, breathe, and jump again. The band. The band is back together. It is a good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes is here and you are there at 7.02 on this Monday night, the first day of the semester Monday night. Hope everyone had a good first day. I hope everyone made their first classes, didn't get dropped. I hope everyone found parking, although I know that you didn't. Uh, but anyway, glad to have you here listening to the program. This is Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State. 89.7 FM, uh, WVFS, Tallahassee, streaming online anywhere in the world at wvfs.fsu.edu. And the show is always available the next day as a podcast. So as we welcome you into the program, want to let you know as well, you can be a part of the program. This is a call-in show. We want to hear from you, hear your sports thoughts about Florida State, maybe your NFL team getting to the playoffs or not. Call us up and let us know at 850-644-1837. That's 850-644-1837. Going to talk about Florida State football and, and some of their players that decided to stay, even uh, despite us predicting otherwise, Florida State basketball, men's and women's, and we'll close it out. Uh, not a cloud in the sky with the sunshine slate. All three teams in the state of Florida make the NFL playoffs. The first time in this millennium that it's happened, the last time was 1999. The Bucks, the Jaguars, and the Dolphins will be in the postseason, so we'll talk about that as well. But before we get into that, just want to give a quick uh Note, a quick update, uh, as you'll know, less than an hour after we went off the air with last week's show in the Monday night football game between the Bills and the Bengals, the Bills safety, Damar Hamlin collapsed on the field. He suffered a cardiac arrest and his heartbeat was restored on the field. Uh, he's been in critical condition. They transferred him to the University of, of Cincinnati Medical Center where he was for about a week. Since then, he's continued to to trend upwards and has been taken off the ventilator. He's breathing on his own, and it was just announced a few hours ago that he's been taken back to his home in Buffalo. He's staying in the hospital there, but, but getting back to his home city and, and doing well now, as I said, breathing on his own. So Hamlin said he still has a long way to go, but everyone, just want everyone uh, at VD9 Sports, we were also jarred with what happened on Monday night, and, and we've all been overjoyed at his recovery to this point, and, and it's been great to see, and, and Buffalo had an emotional win with a, a kickoff return to start the game on Sunday, so uh, it's it's been the story of the sports world and even transcending sports, uh, but we're glad that he is doing all right. But with that being said, thrilled to have a full studio for the first time in a month and a great show slate. Yeah, it's been since early December since we've had a full studio. I did a couple solo shows. I'm happy to be back, but joined by our full crew. We'll start with the man to my left, retaking that co-captain's chair, Jackson Bacon. Jackson, so great to have you back. I missed having this uh, ability to go back and forth with someone like we've done uh, for all these semesters. So great to have you back. How are you? You know, long break. Uh, how was seeing the folks? How was the holidays? How are you? That's a lot of questions there, William, but, you know, I, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You know, if I was doing any better, I'd be dead. And um, 
great Christmas, great holiday break, great to see some family that came out of town. And um, I want to echo your statement um, on behalf of DeMar Hamlin. We're all, you know, super excited that uh, he seems to be doing better. And um, in the city of Buffalo, uh, and really the, the entire league and all its fans, I think, responded in a way that I don't think anybody really saw coming. Um, but, and also, you also said, uh, talking about, really anywhere in the world you can you can listen to our show and you know i think they have internet connection on the space station so if you think about it really anywhere in the universe we can listen to this radio show and um i'm just really excited that the entire universe can hear our voices isn't that wonderful William? it is great i mean that's obviously why we're in the business right so people in the space station can hear us talk about sports that's, but... that's exactly right but also i want to give a quick shout out and give you a quick platform to talk about your Miami Dolphins. We'll talk about it more at the end, but but what an up and down ride and their outlook doesn't look great, but all you can ask for is to have a shot and they will uh, this week. And yeah, I mean, once you get into the dance, it's survive in advance. And so um, it was the same way, same thing with the Florida State Seminoles. Uh, all winning and losing streaks. Not a single win-loss win or loss-win-loss combination in there whatsoever. Just uh, all winning streaks. So it, it there's been a lot of um, very troubling times, a lot of times of elation, a lot of times of jubilance, and a lot of a lot of times of just thinking, what are we doing? So uh, obviously we'll we'll keep that uh, for the later in the show. But the Dolphins, if they get to a back somehow, they have a shot. There you go. Uh, moving to on to our panelists to the right. Starting with Kylie Brennan. Kylie, great to have you back. Been a while since we've had you in the studio. How are you? I mean, you, you made your sideline reporting debut with uh, the ACC Network since the last time that we saw you. And, and so tell us about that. And, and great to have you here on the show tonight. Well, I'm, I'm doing great, William. Uh, I, I may be alone in this opinion, but I love the first week of classes. I love the icebreakers. I love getting to hear everybody's fun fact. I'd consider myself to be like the buddy, the elf of school. Uh, but yeah, sideline was awesome. That is exactly what I want to do in the future and getting that opportunity and just being able to speak with the SID directly and, you know, go on and deliver hits and then interview coaches and players right there on the air, have my family watching at home. It, it was really something and it's really amazing to be able to get to experience this alongside Amanda as well. And, you know, both of us had our beginnings at V89 Sports and we're both on to cool things as well as continuing here and that's not all but you got to see your hometown nfl team uh win the division and clinch a playoff spot at home tell us about that that was perhaps one of the most amazing days of my life um and i i mean i hope i have better days than that one but <laughs> um <laughs> just starting out with the electric guitar anthem and eh, I, I was just I was just riled up from the get-go, and it was, it was just amazing. It record-breaking attendance. I've, first time I feel like I've seen the Jag Stadium full with our colors um, in a while because people tend to travel very well to our stadium. I don't really know what that's about, you know. Crazy, but... <laughs> I can, I, as a buck, as someone who has been to Buccaneers and, and Tampa Bay Rays, and to see how opposing fan bases take over that stadium, I understand. But it, that's a great feeling for for Jacksonville and that Jaguars team. Uh, they were three and seven, and 
as Doug Peterson predicted, they were going to run the table, and, and so they did, and they'll be playing important, meaningful January football at home, a home playoff game for the first time in, in, a, in a little while. So very exciting. But from one ACC Network sideline reporter to another, and we have Amanda Golson. Amanda, great to have you back on the show. It's great to be here. Kicking off a new semester with um, all of us back on. I don't think there's anybody any way better to do that. We've got some exciting stuff going on, just as you guys were mentioning. Lots of fun NFL Florida news, and um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Excited to kick off the, is this winter, spring? What are we calling this? What semester is this? It's the spring semester. Okay, okay. yeah. 2023. Yes. We're like in winter, but uh, okay. The winter <laughs> sports season, but the spring semester, because the, the spring sports would be uh, baseball and softball, but... Uh, the four of us here in the studio, peeking in from behind the glass, producer of the show is Jack Oliaro, and he'll be screening your telephone calls at 850-644-1837 again is the telephone line, and we'd love to hear from you at some point. Give us a call. Uh, yeah. Give us a call, man. That's we're it. we're yes. ready. We're ready to debate. We're ready to talk sports. We're ready to have fun. So give us a call. Yeah, and maybe uh, a Packer fan or two salty about the loss last night. Whatever whatever you got on your mind, let's let's hash it out. But Wanting to start with Florida State Athletics, and we'll start with the football team. The first thing I want to ask is, is anyone in here, are you familiar with the the magnetic lab that's here in Tallahassee that's the uh, between Florida State and FAMU, and they've got all these uh, experiments on these big magnets? Has anyone heard of this? It's the High Field Magnetic Lab, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the engineering program is connected, right? FSU and FAMU, their engineering con- uh, program are one and the same. So it makes sense. Co-op. Well, the the reason I bring it up is I never really understood what the magnetic lab was for, what they were testing these magnets to do. But I think now I know what they're for. I think they're using them to keep all these talented football players, keeping them in Tallahassee, keeping them Ah. on this Florida State football team. So I see what you did there, William. That's how we open it up. And the, the first name that we have on the list is arguably the most important, maybe not even an argument there. Jared Verse, the defensive end, announced on Saturday he is going to make a return in Garnet and Gold in 2023. An NFL prospect, no doubt about it. Every mock draft that you saw had him a first-round pick. Some considered him to be a top 10 uh, there wasn't even really any thoughts from uh, scouts, agents, and otherwise that he was going to uh, do anything other than go to the NFL draft. And and I think us here and, and people in Tallahassee were, were thinking along the same lines. But the Battles End NIL Collective that we talked about a couple weeks ago came out of nowhere with Ingram Smith and, and his big booster backing, and, and they created that NIL Collective to keep talent in Tallahassee to keep other programs from poaching players away and to keep players here an extra season or two before going to the NFL draft. And here we have Jared Verse in his first season at Florida State, seven and a half sacks, 14 and a half tackles for loss was a game wrecker for Florida State in the large way that Jermaine Johnson was. first season in the FBS. Mm-hmm. Coming I mean, over from Albany. It, it's it's nuts the production that he produced. Well, it's redundant. It's, it's nuts the production <laughs> that he created uh, in just one season in the FBS, and, and you know, we saw it at that LSU game, just how much of an impact he was going to have early on. Blocked field goal, a couple sacks in That's that right. game. Just he's a he's a tremendous player, and and Florida State is uh, very lucky to have him for a second season. Absolutely, and and his story was so interesting. Like I said, Albany College, where he started out, did not receive any FBS offers. He was a tight end 
in high school, Albany took a chance. They thought they could build out his body and turn him into uh, a nice edge player, and that's what Jared Versus turned into, you know, coming on to this play. I mean, he played LSU, played Oklahoma, played Clemson, played all these big-name teams that have great players, and, and he, he dominated against all of them. He was a first-team all-ACC player at the defensive end position, as I said, a lock basically to go in the first round of the draft. Uh, he said he, he's part of his decision to stay was he wants to improve his decision making. He said he, he uh, thought he could do better in deciding how to approach plays on if it was a run, his pass rushing moves and things. So uh, obviously, as Jackson said, one season at the FBS level, still an unfinished product and, and good on him for recognizing that there's still work to be done and uh, how important, how key it is, how surprising it is that Florida State is able to retain probably their best player. Not only that, I think I think a name we're forgetting, uh, Tatum Bethune. Um, he is a huge, huge piece of that defense. You know, he, he's the Jordan Travis of the defense in terms of, um, you know, being the brain of the defense. So him, Tatum Bethune. Um, of course, obviously you have Wilson coming back. You have you have Fabian Lovett coming back as well. That's a huge name. Almost every it just seems like almost everybody's coming back. Yeah. And 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 you have you have some of these. Uh, some of these news organizations saying that you know Florida, they have Florida State as as high as four in their way too early rankings. I mean, there's a lot of hype, and I think some of these guys are thinking ACC national championship or bust. Absolutely, the the clip that we played at the top of the show from Blues Brothers. I think the the beginning of it clipped off, but it was the idea we're getting the band back together. Everyone's coming back. We're going to run this thing back. Uh, and I, I thought that that clip had some quotes that were relevant to our situation. But Kylie, Amanda, the uh, the benefit of having Jared Verse back. Well, I mean, NIL aside, I feel like that's an important component. But for the point that I'm trying to make here, I'm going to set it aside. Um, you just look at it and you say, wow, this is a really selfless player. You know, he battled injury a little bit this season. So not only is he potentially turning down millions of dollars that he would get in the first round pick in the NFL. If he gets injured next season, where does that put his career? You know, if he reopens that case, what, what goes on there? So I think that's a further point to establish that national championship or bust mentality. And I obviously kind of, like you said, none of that is possible without NAL. We'll, we don't have the figure. We'll never know the figure. But without a doubt, it's somewhere in the millions. There's probably seven zeros on that check. I mean, that's a bit figurative, but the amount that Verse is going to get. And so that softens up a little bit that you get some money in your pocket versus nothing. Obviously, Florida State fans are elated for this news. This was kind of the big last decision that people were wondering because it was personally, I had no idea what he was going to do because he I mean, it's a good decision either way, I think, you know, because he was predicted to go so highly in the draft um but I think him sticking around says something greater about the program as a whole to outside recruits high school players like kids are entering the portal that whatever Mike Norvell is doing is making he's not he's not bringing kids in for a year and sending them out he's building a foundation here and that's admirable looking um from the outside looking in for other players for other prospects um so I think that's huge for Florida State's program. Obviously, his talent on the field is what most people are excited about, but I think that his leadership coming back and his decision to come back um, kind of sets a big precedent. And and not only are players buying in, but the transfers are buying in. And, you know, Absolutely. when you have these 
these guys that can go wherever they want every year. They're a free agent every year. And when you have guys like Tatum Bethune, you have guys like, J- excuse me, like, like Verse, when you have guys like Trey Benson that choose to stay in the program because they believe in what's being built, and even though they've only been there for a few months, they are buying in immediately. Uh, it's, it's really cool to see um, as a student, honestly. Talking about an impactful transfer player on the defensive side of the ball. How about a very impactful transfer portal player on the offensive side of the ball coming back? And that's big six foot seven wide receiver Johnny Wilson. It was announced this past week uh, getting a deal with uh, the Battle's End NIL. He'll be a redshirt junior this year. But this is 2022 was really his first season of getting playing time. I think had about 200 receiving yards in two combined years at Arizona State, comes to Tallahassee and uh, caught nearly 900 yards, 897 yards, averaged 21 yards per catch and five touchdowns. He had the best game of his life, really, in the Cheez-It Bowl. Eight catches for 202 yards, including that big nearly 60-yard catch, set up the game-winning field goal. Uh, Lots of drops, I I think kind of not quite to the extent of verse, but a little bit in that there's that factor of an unfinished product, some work still to be done. Uh, but an interesting note as well with Kyle Morlock, the transfer tight end, Florida State now has two six foot seven weapons at their disposal. And that's right. And um, with Johnny, I, I think he is a great player, and I think his ceiling is much higher than than we even know. I think with his with his build, his projectability is absolutely through the roof. And I think he would tell you himself he's got to work on the drops. I think he would tell you himself there's some work to be done, like you said, but. Johnny Wilson's ceiling is the sky. It's the moon. It's 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 Jupiter. I mean, it it's really um, he could be a, a tour de force in the NFL. And if he threw a ball to the moon, he could probably go up and that's catch right. it too. <laughs> that's that's a guy that I'm really glad he decided that he wasn't quite ready for Sundays yet because it seems like the hardest pass in the world to make. He's your guy. He's going to one-arm grab it, clutch it with the other, bring it down, set us up for good field goal position. But if you just throw him a nice little five-yard just cutting in, it seems like, oh, oh, we don't know. We don't know if this one's going to be okay. And so I'm excited to see him develop and hopefully be more consistent on the easier balls and I, I remember you and I kind of talked about it over the phone once and said maybe maybe that's a mental game maybe it's when you have time to think about the play you think oh my gosh am I going to catch this am I going to do this and then you lose it whereas if it's a miraculous play that no one's expecting you to make you have no time to think you pull it down and you you have it Maybe it's the long sleeves maybe that's what it is maybe <laughs> maybe maybe that doesn't no, I'm just I'm just kidding but uh, well, maybe not, but um, I think you know he, like you just said, he he gets those short passes down. Um, he has a chance to be. I mean, he already is special, but he he could really. I mean, we saw it in the Florida game. That third down play, they need a catch. They need something to get the drive going uh, in order to to score the game winning touchdown, and that's the guy they went to. And 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 Norvell trusts him. After a devastating drop yep. on the first quarter where he dropped a touchdown. Yep. And they, they, like Norvell does, he'll come back to you, he'll have faith in you. And uh, I think with a guy like Johnny, that's what you have to do. I think him sticking around also helps build Jordan Travis's ceiling because the balls that Jordan has to throw to Johnny Wilson are just not some, not really 
they're not normal, you know, because he jumps over guys on mismatch plays or especially his height, giving him such an advantage. It helps um, Jordan Travis get reps at, you know, throwing balls that he's not used to throwing to, I guess, normal size players, you know, like hitting him in the chest, like at QB position, you you know, hit him in the chest and Jordan Travis has to, you know, he works even harder um, to get the ball to him on a mismatch. And that is just helping him develop even more, which is, you know, He's going to need that in the NFL whenever that time comes. Yeah, and, and the foot of height difference between Johnny Wilson and Keyshawn Helton. Uh, <laughs> I know we don't we don't you know want to have players leave, uh, especially if they're a great player. But that might actually end up helping him just because <laughs> he doesn't have to worry about that wide range of of uh, height to throw to. Only three wide receivers have reached a thousand yards receiving at Florida State since two thousand three. Uh, Wilson had nearly 900, so almost to that mark. But as I said, just three since 2003. Can you guys name the other three wide receivers that have had a I was born in 2003, so I don't think I'll be able to. I, I want to say one of them is Kelvin Benjamin. Yes. And then since 2003, so there's probably someone in the early 2000s there. I'm no. going to say no. No. Okay, so like I'd say either Kenny Shaw or Rashad Green. Rashad Green. Okay. So you got one more, and it's more recent than you think. Mm. Wouldn't be Terry, would it? It is. Wow. Oh, wow. Tamari and Terry, Kelvin Benjamin, and Rashad Green, the three uh, Florida State wide receivers to reach the 1,000 yard, uh, the century mark, and Johnny Wilson almost uh, able to get there. And next season could very well add his name to that list a couple of defensive players announcing their return we talked about transfers now here's a guy that's homegrown the safety Akeem Dent 2023 will be his fifth year at Florida State and he's appeared in nearly every game in his first four seasons from 2019 to 2022 so he's been here uh, for a couple of coaching staffs a lot of turnover but but he's been a mainstay uh, here in the capital city he appeared uh as he did career high 51 tackles last season so every year he's continued to get better i think we'll all remember his big hit in the miami game a couple of years ago but a great tackling safety i think especially with jamie robinson on the way out that you get to keep at least one of your two really talented safeties and, and he'll be a big part of the defense uh, next year in his fifth year and you want to go ahead? i would say real quick how about jamie teasing everybody that was I, I joked about it a little bit. His big announcement at, at, at the stroke of midnight, and it was that he was going to. You know, we're all, uh, we're all happy for him. You know, go get a check, go get a bag. But man, you have to do it like that. Didn't have to do it like that. But you know, it it it's 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 all good. I I'd say he still helped um, the forming the culture and continuing Absolutely. that um, in his post-game presser after the cheese it bowl where he said this has been my best college year it's a brotherhood it used to be that people wouldn't say hi to each other in the hallways norvell has changed that it is not like that anymore so at least he gave that final nod of hey this program's great without saying hey go here but yeah. saying hey this program's great and then yeah i i was a little disappointed at eleven fifty nine though i did wait yeah kind of like kind of like ramsey and uh derwin Saying you know if you're if you're a recruit you're not going to Florida State what are you doing you know that kind of thing I, and so it was that kind of uh, proper send off for the for the university I would agree with that so Fabian Lovett uh, Jamie Robinson had accepted his, uh, Reese's Senior Bowl invite we thought he was on his way out he was Fabian Lovett also a Senior Bowl invite and he had accepted and so it seemed clear that he was not going to stay this is a couple of weeks old but just a reminder that he'll be back for year four 
of his career had only six tackles last year, but graded uh, the best of his career with uh, the PFF and the analytics and all that. Took on a lot of double teams and was kind of just a clog up the middle of the defensive line. So a big get for Florida State to get him back. Uh, Treshawn Ward, the running back, he has entered the transfer portal and will be playing elsewhere next season. Had 547 rushing yards and five touchdowns. Had a big run in the Cheez-It Bowl in that win over Oklahoma. Had a nice kind of final send-off. He was the starter at running back this year until he had, a, I think, a shoulder or a collarbone injury against NC State. And at that point, Trey Benson, who was rehabbing an awful knee injury uh, midseason, uh, he had gotten hurt a couple years ago, but at that point in the middle of the season had taken the reins as the full-time starting running back and never looked back. So that seems pretty clear-cut to me in that uh, Treshawn Ward, a great player, but, I mean, he was a, a former walk-on practice squad player. Uh, against Trey Sean or, or against Trey Benson, a bigger pardon, who to me was one of the best running backs in the country. So Ward will go somewhere else to get some more playing time. And whoever gets Treshawn Ward will have an absolute stud, an absolute dude, an absolute guy. I mean, that, that is a guy. Uh, I, I don't want to say he's as good as Dalvin Cook, but just a few times you'll see glimpses of it. His vision is so good. He he can make cuts. He can make plays. Um, that is Sunday level stuff, in my opinion. Um, so whoever whoever's getting Treshawn Ward is getting someone that can immediately impact their offense. And just a quick note, at the kicker position, they'll have a preferred walk-on on the roster next year transferring from East Tennessee State, Tyler Keltner. And the interesting note about him, a Tallahassee native, went to Charles High School, was 74% field goal kicker last year and has not mixed, missed an extra point, I believe, in his career. So maybe I know there will at the very least be talks about some uh, sort of kicker battle in fall camp next year but uh moving from the the gridiron over to the hardwood and talking some florida state basketball here we'll start with the men first still treading water at five and eleven but they're three and two in acc play i think only a couple games back of first but the acc has had a rough year in basketball had an 11 point win 75 64 over georgia tech this past weekend a tech team by the way that had handed miami their first loss of the year earlier in the week so they were a bit of a giant killer, so I don't know a letdown or what, but Georgia Tech did not play very well for probably the last uh, 25 minutes of the game, you you would say. Georgia Tech led by nine in the first half. They were shooting almost 90% from three. I think they made like nearly their first 10 shots or, or something like that. They were just shooting the lights out, but then it came back to earth and cooled off in a big way. Florida State takes the lead right uh, near half, and they never looked back, extending it in the second half. Only three players used off the bench. Naheem McLeod, Tom House, and, and Chandler Jackson. That was it. Uh, and no one, none of those three really got big-time minutes. McLeod got 22, but definitely not the others. Uh, Hamilton picks up his 600th win, his 400th at Florida State's uh, thoughts on this win for, for the men. Well, it's definitely weird to see a Leonard Hamilton coach team with only three guys off the bench. Right. Um, but, like you said, Georgia Tech's pretty solid ball club. Um, we were joking, you know, at the beginning of the season when Florida State was going through their major troubles, uh, you know, half joking that they wouldn't win an ACC game. And so, uh, for them to be at three and two, I think they have to be, you know, not necessarily happy with it, but um, I wouldn't say disappointed. Um, I think they think they're trending in the right direction. So, um, yeah, three and two, not horrible, but slight chance, very, very, very slight chance that they can still get into March. 
So you're telling me there's a chance. That's right. I know. I can't imagine how many times we're going to use that this year, but it, it's fitting. I think this was a big win for Florida State. I was in the Tucker um, this weekend covering on behalf of the station on Twitter, and the energy in there was something I have not felt in a while. Granted, I was not at the Notre Dame game where it seemed the energy was very similar, but the energy in the Tuck was something I had not felt in a while, and it was refreshing to feel. It has been a while since there's really been, I mean, this year at least, there's been an excitement about Florida State basketball just because of such the rough like start that they got off to. So I think this win was huge. Um, obviously, you know, you have guys like Matthew Cleveland still continuing to put up. He had his what, fifth consecutive double-double. Um, so having him, you know, having him stick around this year was huge, obviously. We would not be in this position without him. Um so I yeah that was a great that was a great that was a good win. The Tucker Center was about half full, but you're right. I mean that Jalen Ward did not feel like it. <laughs> dunk it wasn't he, half empty. There you go. It was half full. There you go. <laughs> J- Jalen Worley puts uh, a yellow jacket on a poster, and, and that got the crowd fired up in in a pretty big way. And I mean, anytime you have a double digit win over a conference opponent, Jackson, you just said it didn't look like they were going to win a single game, and yet they're above 500. In ACC play, Matthew Cleveland, his, his sixth double-double in seven games, had 21 points and, and 12 rebounds. He's also already made more three-pointers so far this season than he did all of last year. He's already made nine, and so maybe that's opened up his game a little bit, but certainly the best player the Knowles have going, and, and he's shouldered the load uh, quite a bit. Also, an interesting development that's gone back and forth Florida State not using much of the bench at all in ACC play, but a little bit of a position battle here at the five with Naheem McLeod and Cam Corrin. Corrin started the game, played 18 minutes. Uh, I, I don't think had a had a great game. And, and McLeod, who I think in a little bit was in the doghouse, came off the bench. But for the first time, our biggest criticism of him, maybe not physical enough, not using that big frame of his. I mean, he was shouldering in, into some, some Georgia Tech players, and, and I thought I had a pretty good game. One of his best of the season thus far. I think the name of the game when you have someone at the five spot, both of these guys is their lack of consistency. They'll have, like, Cam Corn has had amazing games. What was the past Notre Dame game? I don't know. He had a great game. Yeah, he did. McLeod didn't play in that game. Yeah. It's just, I think Ham is, Ham's trying to figure out the system and they're trying to figure out their system and how they can play. Uh, When you have... Cam Corrin played, like you said, 18 minutes. Naheem McLeod, 22 minutes is not a huge difference, but uh, Naheem was definitely more effective, which does not happen all the time. I think when you have a 7'4 guy who's having a decent game, you want to keep him in just because of the fact that he's 7'4, and having having him in the paint is just – that's whether he's super effective or not, that's just a defensive threat as it is. You're – you're forcing the other team to work around his height. Um, so I still think this is going to be a learning curve for him, kind of figuring out who he really wants down there and who's going to show up in which games. Um, but I was very impressed to see Naheem's game. It, we need He needed that, personally. I think he's been kind of down in the dumps. So him having it, this game, a little re- rejuvenation and uh, – Give it, get some life back into him, because we. I mean, Florida State needs him. Seven, he's seven foot four. His ceiling is so high, but it's just it's been a little disappointing thus far. So it's exciting to kind of see him start to get back into it. 
A little uh, fun fact about this game, uh, there was probably a little family rivalry in the Cleveland household. I got to interview Matthew uh, before the season who said that he's always had to work hard and that's always been instilled in him because both of his parents were first-generation college students who came from nothing and went to Georgia Tech. So a little interesting tidbit for you there. Wow, and, and you know, played 38 minutes, got a double-double like he's been doing all season, and yeah, an interesting note. That's always yeah. You don't see that a ton at the college level going up against kind of your your hometown team. I'm interested to see how this strategy is going to pay out for Florida State. In that they have three or four guys that basically play 35 minutes or more every game. Darren Green played all 40, which he's done a few times this year. Cleveland played 38. You have good players, but you're leaning on them quite a bit. The Knolls usually known for their deep bench and having. Oftentimes, their best players coming off the bench. Scotty Barnes, the most recent example. A ton of lottery NBA picks that have come off the bench in Tallahassee. And now it's you, you maybe only have three or four good players, and you have to play them pretty much the whole game because that's where they're at. Um, seems like when they play these more physical teams that have talented bigs or just good teams in general, they get worn out into the second half. So uh, maybe that's kind of where the ceiling is, where if you get you know on a nice run against a team like Georgia Tech, you can have some success. But... Uh, against a team like Duke, a team like Purdue, who they've played. Uh, you're just maybe a, a, a player or two or a moment or two away from being on the right side of it. Uh, but potentially a thing that could change all of that is uh, freshman 6'11", the forward from Spain, Baba Miller, coming off a 16-game NCAA suspension. Ridiculous that the suspension even occurred, uh, NCAA citing improper benefits. Uh, not to, we don't really want to get into the weeds of all of it, but it was a ridiculous thing. And but now you have them back for the rest of the season. This week they're going on the road on Wednesday night, 9 p.m. tip against 11 and five Wake Forest team. So a chance for him in his debut to 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 help out the team. And then this weekend they get a big home game on Saturday afternoon against number 13 in the country, Virginia. Uh, the Knowles played UVA already this season in their ACC opener. That was an awful, awful game. 62-57, uh, the Cavs won, but neither I think both teams were like about 30% from the field or worse, and it just off, horrible offensively. We'll see if it's the same. But yeah, Tony Bennett, he's definitely known for his defensive mindset. That's true. Florida State started the season 1-9. and They're 4-2 and since, where they are now at 5-11, and so... It's it's tough with Baba Miller. He's what 18, 19 years old. Has not played a a college basketball game yet. And I'm not saying that we're not saying that he's the savior. No one is saying that. But they need some help. And the question is going to be right off the bat, not having played a game, can Baba Miller be that guy? I don't think he starts. I don't see that happening. Just because Ham is figuring out his starting lineup on his own. Um, I do think he makes an impact, though. He is, I watching the games. He is one of the. He is probably one of the first guys up off the bench. His energy is contagious, and I think having a guy like that, there's not really a guy out there on the floor at all times. Having just his energy out there, that builds the morale of an entire team. Whether or not he's performing, if he stays positive, that's something in itself. His performance aside, um, like I said, I don't think he's going to start, but I do think he wants this so badly that he's going to work his butt off regardless of what numbers he puts on the stat sheet. 
Well, and not only does a player like that electrify the offense, get the players going, remembering what they're playing for, but also you mentioned earlier about how the Tucker Center really hasn't been the same. I think when you have a player out there whose energy is contagious not only to the team, but I think that does something for the fans in the Tuck as well. Absolutely. And I don't really feel like there's been sort of that, you know, flashy, energetic player for anybody to back with this team thus far no you remember when when Dwayne Bacon was there you have the the student section you know having all the the signs of the bacon on and all that stuff I mean you're right there there hasn't been that energetic force that really want that really makes you get excited to watch Florida State basketball whether they win or lose and um hopefully Baba can provide that Baba O'Reilly maybe he can uh he can he can he can save it He's a real interesting player. I saw some of his highlights from his showcases and, and the various things that he did in Spain. There's not a lot of great footage, but uh, at six foot eleven, I mean, he. I think they said he had a, a late growth spurt. He's one of those guys that maybe came up as more of a guard type, so ball handling, kind of like an Anthony Davis almost, quick feet. But then all of a sudden, just grew up, you know, an extra five or six inches, and all of a sudden is playing down low. So he can move. I mean, he's a, he can play that perimeter defense. Uh, he even shot the three a little bit. So not is definitely at six foot 11 though, is, is not going to be one of those guys that like we've been talking about, can solve your problems down low guarding some of these, these nasty bigs that the Knowles have had to go up against, but just gives you an extra threat on the offensive side of the ball. And, and uh, at the very least has some quick feet on defense. So we'll see. That's a big game at home on Saturday against UVA in what will be his second game back. So uh, we'll certainly be back next week to, to talk about uh, all that's gone on. FSU women's basketball, they're still having a great season. They had a 31-point win over Clemson. They've continued to just obliterate and embarrass kind of the bottom rung ACC teams, really taking care of business. But on Sunday... Uh, a loss, seventy-one or seventy-seven to seventy-one to Boston College. It's a team that's fifteen and three. They haven't lost very much, but a tough loss uh, up in in Chestnut Hill. And Tania Latson struggled, just four of seventeen from the field. Uh, Sarah Pagetti actually led the team in scoring with twenty-six. I think only the second game this year out of eighteen that anyone other than Latson has led the team in scoring. Timpson had her seventh double-double. Uh, and she's had a nice year down low, but the team struggled. Twenty-six to seventy-two from the field, just five of twenty-one from three. The question that I coming out of this game is: It just an off game, or was there something defensively that Boston College was doing maybe to throw off Florida State? I think this game was an off game. I mean, not to knock Boston College, they are a good team. They just they upset uh, North Carolina, NC State, I believe, the week prior. They're a good team. So it w- this was a test for Florida State. Um, we were saying earlier, I think this game proved that Tania Latson was human because for the past couple of weeks I have not been convinced that she is because just of how dominant she has been and her- how unbelievable her numbers have been. Um, I think she had kind of a trouble finding her rhythm in this game. I'm just looking at the stats. Florida State was out-rebounded uh, 43-60 to 60 total rebounds. That's not great <laughs> to win basketball games. Um, second chance points are huge in games like this when you're not shooting well from the field and for Florida State not to be able to to do that. I mean, they came back on – they were down for the first – what, first half? They were down at the first half. And to come back and force the overtime, um, only five points scored in overtime, you know, that's not going to 
exactly do it for you. But I don't think we should be worried or anything. This team's going to bounce back. We've seen it. We've seen it before. So I just think this is this was a good learning game for them. Take it and move on. That's The only fear that I feel has presented itself is potentially dependence upon Tanaya Latson from a morale standpoint. Uh, you watch the UConn game, and Tanaya Latson comes out kind of cold, and the team's just playing flat and has to fight back in that second half. And thank goodness her Jets got turned on and she was good to go for the second half. But uh, even – and it's it's more so a morale thing because in the Miami game, K.K. Timpson – was the leader there, but Tania Latson's morale was still there. She still put up 19 or so points, and I think that that's something that, you know, we talked about Baba Miller coming in for the men's team and possibly being that flashy player. It's a real, real thin line of you need to make sure your team's morale is not dependent upon one player. There's no I in team. <laughs> and – you know, there's no such thing as a good loss. You want to be on the winning side as often as you can. I think the Knolls are only a half game back of first in the ACC. But like you say, if you're going to have to figure out what life is like without uh, Ladson scoring 30, now is the time. And you mentioned, I mean, Ladson fouled out pretty early in the fourth quarter of the UConn game, and they struggled down the stretch of that one. And obviously, just scoring 10 points over, you know, four quarters and overtime of the Boston College game, and, and they're on the losing end of that one as well. So it's not to say that they can't succeed without her, you know, playing out of her mind, but, they're you know, they're probably going to have a couple more chances throughout the rest of the season to figure out what that's going to look like. This upcoming week, a couple of big tests, a couple of big-time schools in the ACC, both at home at the Tucker Center. So if you want to come out and see this this great basketball team, now is your chance. Number 10, NC State, Wednesday night at 6. And then on Sunday afternoon, the 13-5, and 4-1 and in conference play, the Louisville uh, Cardinals. And so a couple of teams that are at the top of the conference, and, and the Knowles will stack up against them getting some home games. William, great job on the pronunciation there of, of Louisville. <laughs> uh, from, a, from a Southerner that has a mom that's from Kentucky, I really do appreciate that. And, um, yeah, great games coming up. For, for the Lady Knowles here this week, you know, uh, Florida State students get a treat. You know, the, the first week of the of the school year, and they have two great balls, or excuse me, two great basketball games to go to in the tuck, like you said, NC State and Louisville. Yeah, but despite how I feel about it, it was settled for me when we were previewing the, the Louisville football game and we had the caller from the school, the school paper, and I asked him, and he said, as someone that's been in Kentucky, has been in the city, it's got to be Louisville. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll go, I'll go, we'll do it your way. And so from now on out, at least on the air, that's how it'll be said. Now, the Florida State out of the way, the National Football League. I haven't talked about it a ton the last few weeks or so. But the Sunshine Slate, which we love to touch on, the three teams, uh, it was a up-and-down, bumpy ride, really, for all three teams. And somehow, all three end up making it into the into the playoffs. The first time since 1999 that the Bucks, the Jags, and the Dolphins have been in the postseason. So we'll talk about all three and preview their playoff games this weekend. Starting with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they finish at 8-9. and nine. 
You could certainly make their make the case that they are one of the worst uh, playoff teams of all time. I would hear out that conversation, but they're able to win the NFC South, which was maybe one of the worst divisions of all time. No real team making a case. And even at eight and nine, the Bucks had this division clinched a week ago, so they didn't even have to play really their starters at all on Sunday against Atlanta, a game that they lost. And because of that loss, Tom Brady has his first losing season of his career. The previous 21 seasons in New England and Tampa Bay were all winning uh, seasons. So even though he makes the playoffs a losing record for the first time ever, the Bucks are in a bit of a jam. Their offensive line has been injury-ridden all year. But uh, Ryan Jensen, who got hurt on the second day of training camp, hasn't played all year. There's a chance he could be back this week, not super likely. And the guy that stepped in for him, Robert Hainsey, he got hurt on Sunday. And so they had to slide in a guy. Uh, I think they moved their, their guard to center. and But the offensive lineman they brought in to replace was a practice squad guy that had never played an NFL game before. And so they're down to their you know, second and third string offensive linemen. Not a great spot. They were also one of the worst rushing teams in the history of the NFL, an injury-ridden secondary as well as the offensive line. But they'll host the Dallas Cowboys on Monday Night Football now that they play a wild card game on Monday night. The Cowboys come in as a three-point road favorite who really struggled down the stretch themselves. The Cowboys have a top-eight passing defense, which certainly uh, brings up some, some issues. Uh, but a bottom 10 rushing defense. So if there's any type of way for the Bucks to have any success on the ground, it would be against this Dallas team, who they ran against really well in the opening game of the season, if you remember all the way back in early September. The Bucks went into Big D and won that game 19-3. to And for, for the Bucks. Picking, if I'm picking this game, I say the Bucks win in advance. The Cowboys have been known for some kind of dubious playoff defeats, and, and they lost a really bad game in Washington that they needed. They were still in contention for the one seed in the NFC, so they, they were playing for all the marbles, and they get blown out by a commander's team playing for nothing. And not only that, but they're going to be on the road. So Dallas, uh, minus three, what do we think? I'm going to agree with you. Um, I'm going Bucks money line for pizza points. There you go. Um, I think... Something about this Tampa City gonna rally around uh, this Bucks team that has been mediocre at best. Um, I, I actually mediocre is very generous, um, but there's something about Tampa Bay in the in these past three or four years that has been so uh, endearing to watch. And I'm not even a Tampa guy, but um, I'm gonna go Tampa 28, Dallas 23. The indomitable human spirit prevails. Right. You just can't keep him down. The GOAT, he's been fighting, infighting with his team the whole season, but they had a great win over Carolina to win the division, and here they'll be in the playoffs. We have thoughts, Bucks, Cowboys on Monday night. I'm going to hurt my father's heart by saying this because he's a diehard Cowboys fan and tried to raise me to be the same, but i got to go with Tampa on this one because not only was that a blowout by the Commanders, that was also starting Sam Howell as well like I just I I don't understand I don't understand what's been going on with Dak I don't know what's with all the pick sixes I don't know what's if it's mental or what I really just don't know so I gotta go with Tampa maybe he's not using sleep number anymore and he's not he's not getting the (laughs) sleep that he needs that could be part of it I mean oh could you imagine with Dak's big contract if they lose this game to an eight and nine bucks team and get bounced to the first round what the talks are going to be about Dak Prescott and everything 
in, in Arlington. It depends on how he plays. If he plays well and they lose, eh. But if he, if he plays poorly. Which he did in that opener. Yeah, he yeah, got hurt late he in the fourth quarter. The game was out of hand. But he did not play well. I think he was like 19 of 33 passing in an interception or two. Did not look good at all. Now, granted, that Bucks defense looks a lot different now than it did back then and not in a good way. Shaq Barrett is out. I don't know how healthy Vitavea is going to be and uh, an injury-ridden secondary, like I said. But if the NFL rigs us an all-time classic, I mean, uh, it'll, it'll be hard for... Um, but, you know, the way the NFL works is they look at wins and losses, not necessarily stats. So um, who knows what they'll do with Dak. But, uh, you know, you never know. They could trade up for a, for a number one pick and completely restart over. Who knows? That's that's fair. The Jaguars moving on to them, nine and eight. They win the AFC South. At one point, they were three and seven and looked dead in the water, looking up at the Tennessee Titans, who were seven and three. And the Jaguars won their last five games, and they got some help. The Titans, in an all-time collapse, lost their last seven games of the season, which included uh, the previous Saturday night in Duval County with with the AFC South on the line not only that the Titans led most of the game with their you know third string uh, off the street quarterback the rocket scientist Josh Dobbs and all he could come up with was that awful check down on that big fourth and long to end the game but the, like as I said the Titans led almost the entire game and and a little bit of poetic justice because I know Jaguars fans recall the the Miles Jack being rolled down in the AFC Championship against the Patriots years ago. Uh, a sack fumble, not rule the Ford pass, but rule the fumble by Dobbs. And the Jaguars edition of Josh Allen is able to run it in for the touchdown and they hold on to that lead. Like I said, they'll be hosting the 10-7 and Chargers. Last I looked, the Chargers inexplicably... Uh, a point-and-a-half favorite in that one. They'll play it this Saturday night. The Jaguars won this matchup 38-10 to in Los Angeles in Week 3. So these two teams have met before. The Jags dominated every possible statistic. They held the ball for nearly 45 minutes and all of that. And also for the Chargers, a boneheaded error for them. They didn't have anything to play for in Week 18, and they played all their starters against Denver and they lost their top wide receiver, Mike Williams, and they lost one of the best defensive players in the NFL and Joey Bosa. They could both play, but maybe not at their best, so that definitely hurts them. The Chargers also have the fifth-worst rushing defense in the NFL, and uh, the Jaguars certainly uh, have the, the guys that could take advantage of that. Absolutely. Uh, ETN will definitely take advantage of that, and i got to say uh, – I saw some Titans posts going into that game saying, oh, the Jaguars are going to learn today. No. The Jaguars have learned. There was That bus ride to the game was silent. Everyone was kind of in this eerie state of the Titans are always the roadblock. It's it's always the Titans that stand in the way. They and were in that zone that like their significant other had just broken up with them, that kind of like preparing for the game kind of mentality. Sure. Yep. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> I t- sorry, that just caught me really off yeah. guard. But uh, yeah, so to to get that win, I think the momentum's pumping. The only thing that I do have a concern about is I think it takes Trevor a second to warm up when it comes to big pressure games, and I think that when he uh, when there's a lot of eyeballs on him in the stadium and it's getting loud, there is one thing that he does, and that is throw over people's heads when he's nervous. And I just hope 
that we have that nailed down and that we don't see any of that going to the Chargers game, but I'm going to try and get tickets to that game, and I, I, I'm i going Jags all the way. It was always the Jags. It's such an interesting scenario for Jacksonville in that this is basically their second playoff game in a row. Last week was a playoff game. The winner advanced and the loser went home, and that, that big record crowd – Kylie, as you mentioned, that big environment. I mean, a home field advantage in Jacksonville. Who knew, you know, the last time that that was. And so, Chargers going to Charger. That is an irrefutable truth. That will always be the case. They always find a way to blow it in the most heartbreaking fashion. I have no idea why they are favored on a cross-country road trip on a Saturday night uh, on the road like that. But maybe Faith and Justin Herbert. But I'm taking the Jags all the way in this one. I'm sticking with Vegas, actually. Um, I want to see Jacksonville do well, as they share part of my name. Um, but, <laughs> you know, the, I think this is the time where uh, Justin Herbert is no, no longer a social media quarterback. This is the time where I think he really starts to shine, and we start to see him take those steps um, towards his ceiling. And uh, I'm, going, I'm going with the Chargers. What are they favored by? Right now, I think a point and a half. Point and a half, yeah, I'd take that. I think this is going to be the battle of which team has the more attractive quarterback. Um, you know, I would take the Chargers, but I think I might get punched if I don't take the Jags, just of our um, location in the studio here. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take the Jags. Smart move, Amanda. Thank you. Smart move. And probably for the remainder of the show, we'll talk about the Miami Dolphins, a different story from the other two Florida teams in that it's not winning the division but on the final day of the season, backdooring their way into the AFC 7th seed at 9-8. and eight. We talked about this last week, and obviously again here, up and down in a way that it's even hard to believe. Started 3-0, and then all the concussion stuff with Tua happened. They lose their next three. Then they win five in a row, and they lose uh, their last five games of the season to get it to 8-8, eight, eight, eight and eight, and they needed a win at home over the Jets and could barely get it. 11-6 to six with Skylar Thompson, at quarterback, could not have been any uglier. Uh, who knows if Tua Tungavailoa is going to be ready to go next week. It'll be at Buffalo, who's favored by 10.5 on Sunday afternoon, the 1 p.m. game. The Bills won the matchup uh, up in Orchard Park 32-29 to 29 in Week 15. Uh, the, the Dolphins won the early matchup in, in Miami. And so the fact that the Dolphins went into 25-degree weather before and took that Buffalo team to a last-second field goal, that's got to make you feel good. Um, but the fact that we don't even know if, if Tungo Vailo is going to play clearly is, is cause for concern. Yeah, I, I think with, with Tua, there's about a 40% chance of a, of a Dolphin win. With Teddy Bridgewater, if he can play, there's a, maybe a 15% chance. And I'm just going to be frank, um, with Skylar Thompson, it's zero. It's it's just zero. Bucks um, legend Mike Glennon on the roster. That's right. That's right. That is true. Um, the last time I saw Mike Glennon play was against the Dolphins with the Giants last year. So um, it's very it's very interesting to have him on the roster. But um, you never know. If Tua plays, there's a chance. Um, but I I, I don't think he's going to play. And I just don't see the, the Dolphins winning this game. So I, I'd probably take the Bills and the points. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I have faith in the Dolphins. I I don't know. I just think that they're a team that just 
kind of comes out of nowhere. I think I've seen it multiple times as a Jags fan, not specifically the Dolphins, but, you know, even with you guys taking the Chargers, there's teams that kind of come out of nowhere that, you know, played well all season, and I'll go Finns. I sure hope they pull it off, but kind of as you were saying, Jackson, whoever's starting at quarterback I think is going to decide the outcome of this game. I think there would be outrage in the league if Tua does play. Just with everything going on with injuries and concussion protocol. And owner, and, uh, just yeah. just bad practices by the owner. Yeah. Exactly. So if he does, in the slim chance that he does play, I don't know. It's still. Uh, do we have a temperature check of what it's going to be up there? I think it's about 25, yeah. 30 degrees again. I wish it were colder. <laughs> I'd definitely put an asterisk on my pick. With the subject to Tua yeah, plays. it has to be yeah, like yeah. I like I'm going Dolphins all the way if it's Tua, but like I, mm. it's equivalent to are you are you throwing Madison Bumgarner in Game Seven of the World Series or are you throwing I don't know, shoot, I don't want to disrespect anybody here, but um, <laughs> throwing me yeah we'll put it we'll put it that way it's or throwing <laughs> me in Game Seven of the World Series so. Um, Two very opposite ends of the spectrum. Yes, two very opposite ends of the spectrum. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I, I'm, I'm the very poor one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take Dolphins just out of fan and support and just hope that something happens. But I don't have the highest hopes for this game. I, I'm in lockstep with you, Jackson, on this. I would take Buffalo and I would take the number to cover the the ten and a half. I don't think it's likely that that Tungavailoa plays, and and if he does. I don't know that it's going to matter. I, I brought up that they gave the Bills a really good game up in Buffalo in Week 15, so it's still recent. It, it's not like we're but it was with in, Tua, right? Uh, and I, in a in a you know that's the thing about the NFL playoffs. All it takes is one game. You don't have to beat them in a series. You just got to beat them. You got to be, be the better team on one night. I I could trust Mike McDaniel to cook up a play or two in a big moment that the defense just doesn't see coming. Uh, but I think at the end of the day. Buffalo is still riding really high off of that big win over New England. All the all the things with Demar Hamlin, and and so I think Buffalo is going to roll and, and they'll go into the next round. I think they've got a date with Destiny in Kansas City at some point in January or I guess early February now, uh, if it's the AFC Championship, which it would have to be. So that's that's where I see it. We'll be back next week to break it down as well as everything that's gone on in, in the Florida State world. But I know the uh, the college football national championship is going on right now early in the first quarter. Georgia already up 7-0 over TCU. So we appreciate you checking us out here tonight as we step aside. This has been Tomahawk Talk for William Haynes, Jackson Bakich, Kylie Brennan, Amanda Golson. Our producer has been Jack Oliaro, and you are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.